through two decades, 17 classic albums, countless unforgettable concert triumphs. They changed the face of British rock music forever. And the best part is, they're back. Now, they're on the verge of the greatest comeback of all time. Rock and roll! This is their moment. Right straight through this door here, down the hall. Yeah. Turn right. Their time has come. Rock and roll! Any minute now. Any second. Hello, stage. I think we're lost. A little jog there, about 30 no. feet. Jog to the we left. Get ready. Get set. Hello there and welcome to Out of Theaters, the podcast that reviews the movies of yesteryear and this year. My name is Billy Culpa. I'm here with my good friend and film critic, Will Pfeiffer. Will, hello there. Hi, Billy. We also have our good friend and music podcaster, not critic, Jim Lenahan with us. Jim, hello. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Great. Uh, really glad to have you. Thanks for joining the show this week. Thanks for having me. If you haven't heard this podcast before, the premise is simple. Will has seen lots of movies. I have not seen lots of movies. So Will pick something for us to, to chew on and we look at it from a fresh perspective. Jim, what is the movie we did this week and why, why are you here and who are you? Okay. Well, first of all, Will Will did pick the movie. So that is true. But I but I sort of prodded him a little bit to even do this this little mashup of of uh, podcast shows, right? So, um uh Will and I go way back. Let me start that first. Uh we have been friends for something like uh 30 years 30 this years? spring, yeah. 30 years, which is more than half my life, right? So think about that for a minute. And also, <laughs> uh, so we, 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 uh, I used to live in Rockford, where you guys are, and w- Will and I worked at the newspaper together, the Rockford Register Star, um, for quite a few years. And uh, we were friends. And one of the reasons why I think we were friends was because we both had a love of a lot of the same kind of music. And so, still to this day, we talk about music from time to time. I usually send him. Uh, in fact, just the other day, today or yesterday, I sent you another link, yes. Will, to uh, to more like power pop. I quite enjoyed that. Really great. There's a lot of really great power pop happening right now, so, so I know Will likes that. So that's good. So anyway, uh, and then in the meantime, um, since all of that, since I left Rockford, I went on and worked at some other newspapers, and now I am in the suburbs of Washington D.C. in Northern Virginia, and I host a podcast called Rock in the Suburbs, and we talk about music on that show that's a music thing and a wide range of stuff new old what have you i have a co-host his name is patrick foster and i just thought it would be fun if we kind of meshed up the two movies and music and had that conversation today right couldn't agree more and uh this is actually our first show back we we uh we're not great at this remote recording so we have not been back since the pandemic started uh, which is actually my first question. Will, how the hell have you been? I've been good. I've been good. I finally today got a haircut. I'm gesturing as if people can see my haircut, but believe me, it's been a giant mop of hair on my head. So that's the big news of the day. I finally got a haircut all under, you know, social distancing protocol, the mask, and then we were in an isolated area and all that. But yes, Allie and I, my daughter, finally got haircuts. So that's my big news. Also, I've been watching a lot of movies. A lot. I, I believe that. Because there's nothing else to do. 
Hey, uh, last October, September, I decided like a freak that I was going to learn to cut my own hair. Uh, <laughs> I got tired of spending $20 every three weeks. I started doing the math and my, I had this one friend who's been cutting his hair forever. And I, once we started talking about how much money he saved, I realized it's a ridiculous premise, but the pandemic happened after I taught myself to cut my hair. So I've not had to worry about that. I just buzz it every couple of weeks and I'm good. The Lord is sort of cutting your hair, isn't he? Really? Over time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what movies have you been seeing? Well, we're going to, we're going to get to this week's movie, by the way, but I wanted to, I figure it's been three months. Uh, whatever you say first will probably be the most important movie of the last, you know, six months. So don't tell us all the movies you've watched over three months. Yeah. Don't do that. That's a different show. I know I've got my, uh, let's see. I've got my letterbox app up, which I'm now using. Um, I will I'll hear. Okay. Here's a movie I watched. It's brand new. It's on, uh, Amazon prime. It's called the vast of night. And it's a new movie. It was made by Amazon. It's about uh, two kids. Uh, well, one's like a little older in the 50s. And there's something weird going on that night. Something probably, although I'm not going to spoil it, involving flying saucers or some kind of visitation. It's almost like a close encounters thing. But set in the 50s. It's obviously very low budget, but it also looks great. There are some like tracking shots and some some shots where they sort of pan through the whole town in this basketball game that's going on. And uh, I highly recommend it. The Vast of Night, it just debuted maybe this week or last week on Amazon Prime. So check it out. So write this down. <laughs> the clicking you hear is Jim actually writing it down. The clanking you heard before that was Jim's booze. <laughs> yeah, you probably hear that much more than the clicking. Yeah, how exactly. have you um how have you been holding up during this pandemic, Jim? Um like what's what's life been like for you? Has it been a big deal? Well, uh, yeah. Well, it's been a big deal for everyone, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, I'm we're we're fortunate in our household that both my myself and my wife have been able to work from home. And, you know, a lot of people have not uh been so lucky. So uh I you know, all things considered, um we have it we have it pretty good. But uh uh, well, let me mention the hair first. You know, the, again, the listeners can't see this, but but you guys can see how how incredibly terrible I look. Um, it's positively fact, li- it's lynching. It is lynching. Fact, oh, that's think, my uh, career goal. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm amazed that Will's not like Jim. What the hell has happened to you? But uh, <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. Two two things. One is that uh, for the first time ever in my life, I've grown a proper beard. I've tried a couple times when I was younger, like in my 20s, probably when it, my Rockford days, I think I tried a couple times and always gave up when it got like itchy <laughs> and I just said, forget it. And it never looked very good anyway. Um, this time I've had this thing going since March and I think it's been pretty good. And I actually think the gray is what makes it work in some way. Yes. Um, but I get a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I've been called Sea Captain a lot. That's, sure. that's become sort of my new nickname. I was hoping for like Mountain Man, Woodsman, you know, that sort of thing. Instead, I get like Sea Captain or I did get Grizzly Adams once because of the hair and the beard combination. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Billy has no idea what I'm talking about there. But, um, <laughs> I do. I do. I do. Okay. But, I'm old at heart. Uh, but here's the thing. I just found out today. So here's the weird thing. My driver's license, it's at. it has to be renewed. And it, the renewal came up. My birthday hit like in eight, middle of April. So the renewal came up, but the DMVs were all closed, right? Yeah. And so they just did, like, the state of Virginia did a thing where they said, you can just drive with an expired license until we reopen, no big deal. So now they're starting to reopen, and I have to go get my driver's license renewed, which means I have to get a photo that's going to be with me for 
like, seven years like, or whatever. Yeah, it was. eight yeah. years or something like that, right? So I'm like, I can't go in looking like this. This is insane. <laughs> Every time, you know, if I were to get pulled over or stopped or whatever, they'd look at this thing and, and think like I'm a homeless person or a crazy <laughs> man or something like that, right? So I can't do that. So uh, I am going to have to get a, a, a real haircut and probably shave uh, before uh, July is when I could get the appointment to go to the DMV. By the other way, by the way, the other great thing about this, um, I, I hate to say it, it's not great, <laughs> but uh, a nice thing about this is uh, the DMV is only open by uh-huh. appointments. You have to make an appointment to go to the DMV. So I don't have to sit there for like, you know, five and a half hours. Right. I bet you do. Mucking about with the hoi polloi. I think that appointment's not going to work out. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. I think you're going to set it for noon you and you'll, right. you'll get your appointment at 3 p.m. They scheduled a hundred other people for their appointment at noon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. So anyway, that's what's going on with me. I have watched a little bit of movies. I'm not quite the movie geek like Will. Um, although, Will, I did watch the Rush documentary on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Uh, about, the, a, about a week I ago. I watched that. I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was the most... Because they're Canadian, it was like the most polite, sort of proper documentary. They had their parents on. Yes, very much. <laughs> like, who does that? Um, there was no like controversy. There was no like wild stories. None mm-hmm. of that. Because that's just not what Rush is all about. Like I felt that to be honest and true. Didn't they open for somebody who like made fun of them for Kiss. being like? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kiss. Yes. Could you imagine two more different bands <laughs> in know. every way? Like image. Um, lifestyle and music and talent yeah that's what i mean it's all like everything is just wrong about that but anyway yeah gene simmons said like we'd have these crazy parties and we'd try to get them to come we'd go to their room and they'd be like reading (laughs) 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 you know it's just great but anyway so i watched that i just watched um i just watched moments before uh joining you guys for this i just watched yesterday oh you guys seen that no how was that it's not good. It didn't look. It, <laughs> we we it set up the movie a little bit. What what is it? Um, yeah, it's it's basically like there's an event that happens, like a, essentially like a worldwide like power outage. Something happens. It's mystical. It's never explained. There's one guy that the hero of the, the of the story, the protagonist, who um, who remembers the Beatles, and nobody else does. Right? There's more, there's actually some other things that happen in there that you don't know, and I don't want to say that are actually pretty clever. So I, there were certain aspects of it, aspects of it I liked, um, and I did find it to be an interesting premise, and it was sort of a study uh, again of like creativity, um, art, and like fame and commerce. All that stuff was really good. But here's the problem, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, having seen um, sort of mediocre movies, is it like was really it was pretty good and, and intriguing for like the first two acts. But then it felt like the writers had no idea how to exactly end. like where do we go from mm-hmm. here? Right? It's a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah. So the third the third act just falls flat. It's just like got it. They wrote themselves into a corner, I think, and didn't you know couldn't get out of it. So I um I'm a remote worker. I um we go into the office a couple of times a week, but mostly that's just a company policy. You know, like the fact that we couldn't go didn't change anything. Um, and my whole team is remote. So professionally, life hasn't really changed for me since the pandemic started. Um, I do feel guilty. We did an episode on, oh, that great uh, pandemic movie. Why can't I think of the name of it right now, Will? Contagion. Contagion. We did Contagion. And we were pretty glib about <laughs> coronavirus. We were terrifyingly I glib. I mean, we weren't like, 
I don't think we were like, yeah, I don't think we were like, uh, I think I blew it off completely. No, 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 no. We, we, I, I've listened to it since and we, we did it. We covered it. Okay. You said a couple times, no, we need to make sure we cover this seriously. But frankly, if we had known like three weeks later, just life would stop. Maybe we would have been a little more serious. That's a funny thing, Billy, because, um, on our podcast, so our rock in the suburbs, we're our daily podcast. So we, we record uh, or we publish five days a week. We, before in pre-pandemic days, we recorded basically like five episodes at a time on a sure. weekend and then gave ourselves like a week to edit, get everything set and then would post. So there would be like a, a week to two weeks, generally a couple of weeks between record time and, and the time that the listeners would hear it. And what we found in March was that um, those episodes we recorded in March required a lot more editing because things that seemed funny, like a few days Ooh, later didn't seem yeah. funny anymore. Yeah. You know what I sense. mean? Yep. Like little comments we would make or jokes or whatever. So we actually changed our workflow to make it, to tighten that window now. Sure. Because um, first of all, we're at home all the time and recording remotely so we can, we don't have to get together on a weekend and mm -hmm. batch record like we did before. So we could be more- You can do it a little more know, responsively. Yeah. But, uh, but now we just have like a few days between record and publish because this crazy world, you- things are changing within a few days, right? Yes. Yeah. And now the things are opening back up. It's the, the one thing that's really affected me and I'll get to the movie in a second here, but, uh, I have just, I have two young kids. You, you guys are like a hundred years old. So you, you know, you don't have to deal oh with Oh my God. Problem. I'm older. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. It's a podcast. I, well, you can, I'm the oldest man in the world. Come he, on. Look at me. You know what? You know what he looks, he looks like it's David Lynch's hair with, with the sea captain from the That's Simpsons his here. icon now. <laughs> this sea captain. <laughs> I know. This, but yes. Jim is only two months older than I am, so, you know, or three months older than me. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just your beard is black, that's all, or brown. I know, and it's not nearly as luxurious as uh, the Grizzly Adams. Uh, no, beard. it looks a little like, uh, uh, like, like I should be bumming cigarettes at behind the junior high or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so we're back, though. Like, things are, it's kind of nice. Like, um, we got to figure out if we can actually get together in person again, Will, to do these episodes. And, and we probably, I don't know, with yeah. the way things are going, I don't know if we'll be able to keep a weekly schedule it's funny you do a daily show we're struggling to do weekly and by struggling it means we haven't done one we've not done <laughs> like i had to i could go back and listen to an episode and say what do i do for the intro and write it down i will say for every episode that you guys do you guys have to watch a whole movie that's that's a lot of work fair yeah. enough we can talk about a song pretty easily <laughs> <laughs> so this week's movie uh will you did pick the movie you want to go ahead and let us know what we're watching this week Sure. Uh, this week's movie is 1984's This is Spinal Tap. Hello. My name is Marty DeBerge. I'm a filmmaker. I make a lot of commercials. That little dog that chases the covered wagon underneath the sink, that was mine. In 1966, I went down to Greenwich Village, New York City, to a rock club called the Electric Banana. Don't look for it. It's not there anymore. But that night... I heard a band that, for me, redefined the word rock and roll. I remember being knocked out by their, their exuberance, their raw power, and their punctuality. That band was Britain's now legendary Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap, a, uh, a, a movie that, though it didn't invent it, it sort of uh, launched the, ra the craze for mockumentary movies. Um, it is a movie... Directed by Rob Reiner, who plays Marty DeBerge, the director within the movie, and he is following a British sort of heavy metal band in the kind of uh, Led Zeppelin mode 
on an ill-fated tour. And this is the band, is, of course, is uh, Spinal Tap. You have um, lead singer David St. Hubbins, played by Michael McKean. You have lead guitarist Nigel Tufnell, played by Christopher Guest. You have bassist Derek Smalls, played by Harry Shearer. A variety of drummers. Um, you have the manager, uh, played by uh, Tony... Oh, crap. <laughs> it's... Uh, old national and Puga. no tony their manager tony, uh, tony hendra. hendra who played yeah. their manager tony hendra uh who's a, a big old national lampoon guy and um tons of cameos everyone from ed bagley jr to billy crystal to um fran drescher and uh it essentially just follows them on their tour paul schaefer yes as Artie fupkin and um this is a movie that uh, I was in high school when this movie came out. I didn't see it in the theater, but my God, we must have watched it 500 times on uh, videotape and later on DVD and cable and whatever. But um, it's, uh, I don't know what you thought of it, Billy, but it's generally considered, you know, one of the best comedies of the 80s. And if you're a rock music fan, it's got just tons and tons of little jokes and references before i get to that jim how did you meet this movie so like will i did not see it when it was in the theater i think i heard about it um but i sure i watched on like videotape uh probably in college uh because i went to college starting in 85 so i probably watched it in college and then probably like will said watched it over and over again or several i don't know over and over again but several times um the funny thing about that, Will, is uh, from what I understand, it didn't do very well at the box office. It became a big hit because of videotape, right? And I think it didn't do very well because people didn't quite understand or know what to make of it, right? It was so kind of different for a, a comedy in that era. Yeah. I forget if it was interview with Rob Reiner or with... Um, yeah, it must have been with Rob Reiner. And he said people would ask him, why did you make a movie about a band no one ever heard of? Right. As if it were a real <laughs> right. documentary. When you watch yeah. it now, you're like, you can't believe it. But if it is sort of the first movie of its kind like this. So, you know, it's maybe you'd think, well, I just never heard of this band. I was going to ask you this also, Will. So you said it didn't necessarily invent the mockumentary style, but it sort of popularized it in some way, right? And since then, you've had Christopher Guest went on to do his own series of mockumentary movies like Best sure. in Show and Waiting for Guffman and all that. And, uh, and then you have like The Office, of course. Right, exactly. The so office. it's huge now. Parks and Recreation and um, and even like uh, What We Do in the Shadows is a mockumentary, right? So like now it's like es essentially considered just like another subgenre of film, right? Or of, of comedy, right? But back then, I'm sure it took people by surprise. The only thing I can think of before then might have been like wasn't like take the money and run like a mockumentary kind of thing and it was and it was yeah that's woody one of woody allen's very first movies and then i was i was looking up because i'm like was this the first one i think the year before this came out woody allen did zelig which is a movie we should do sometime billy and that is a movie it's a it's his fake documentary about a guy in the 20s who could he would essentially this guy leonard zelig would become whoever he was with. Like, if he was with a group of jazz musicians, he would become an African-American guy. Or if he was in a Chinese restaurant, he'd become a Chinese, you know, cook or something. And that one is... When you watch that one, you're because it's really done like they fake... It's all pre-computer, too, but they fake everything, and they have all these experts talking. That's when you're almost like, how did I miss hearing about this guy? It almost <laughs> right. feels like, is this real? 
the poster the poster is really cool it's the it's the word zelig in a million different fonts and styles mm-hmm. it kind of, which i think you sense. would like this billy because it and the the technically it's very impressive how good they get at the look and the other one i was thinking real quick that had a music reference is um is bob roberts mm. which which seems very ahead of its time sort of now tim robbins plays a uh, politician named bob roberts who's a right-wing politician but he's like a folk singer so and it's 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 like really dark because his character is really kind of insidious but um like he has this song like the times are changing back you know and it's all and apparently tim robbins <laughs> a who's a joke. you know he's a huge liberal he didn't he never okayed a soundtrack album because he could like see these songs being used on like Rush Limbaugh's show or something, and he didn't even want to deal with that. But that's that's another one. But worth that checking came out. that came later. That was like early nineties. That came so much later. Yeah. In fact, I think yeah. you and I probably went to the theater to see that together. I think we did. Yeah. And it's a good movie, but it's not necessarily. It's almost like an uncomfortable movie. It's it's not really right. funny. It's just kind of like oh, this is grim. Young Jack Black is in it though. Very. It's like one of his oh. first movies. Very young Jack. I didn't Black. know that. But anyway, back to Spinal Tap. Yeah, I had never seen this Will before last night, uh, and I, I knew some of the jokes. I knew the one louder joke, uh, and that's that's if you have if you'll indulge me, um, I have a high school story for you. We, uh, mm-hmm. um, I'm I I used to be a musician, and then I got old. So Jim is the musician. I I just sort of a music adjacent. But uh, I was in this band called Kick Ten, um, which at the time was sort of like a. It fit in with all the bands of that era. Some forty one, Blink one eighty two. It was just I was sixteen, right? It, it blended. We we named ourselves. It was a big numbers era for bands. I like that. I like that name. I think it's a cool name. Well, the the thing about it was that the tape we used to, you know, you want to see how you how you're doing, and we'd actually want to save bits that we recorded or that we we played on the fly, right? Like we'd kind of rehearse and jam and go, that part's cool. Let's save it. So we'd record ourselves on VHS tapes on like a camcorder, and the camcorder tape that we kept using said K I C T E N. And it was actually the other guitar player's like father couldn't spell kitchen. So it was like a remodeling <laughs> tape of him like filming himself remodeling the kitchen, you know. So after, you know, like a year, it was like, the, get the kick 10 tape. It just kind of became nomenclature. We actually got to go, uh, we recorded um, a couple albums, a couple EPs at the Noise Chamber, which is a sort of famous recording studio in Rockford. It's not, the building is literally gone now. It's not there anymore. Uh, but it was cheap. It was famous for recording Cheap Trick. Yeah, I recorded there. Really, it's, it was great. I mean, like, really, really great. Yeah. Um, I think the guy's name was, like, Jim Johnson yeah, or something, yeah, the owner. Yeah, He was Jimmy Johnson, just like the race car driver and the football coach. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's funny, too, because you could you could tell I'd talk to him, and he would be, he was so, like, demoralized that he had to record these, like, punk-ass 16-year-olds. <laughs> you know, he would just look at me like, oh, man. But after after hanging out with us for a while, he, like, he warmed up, he helped us out, he gave us techniques. He was, he was like, a good, he was a good man to us. He was really embarrassed good. to be associated with I us. I think I still owe him money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I do too, to be fair. But when we showed up, sorry, it's a long-winded story. When we showed up, um, they had this little like garden gnome in the big glass window. Every movie you've ever seen where on one side of the glass is the recording engineer with all the knobs, the other side's the band. They had this little garden gnome in the window with like a thought bubble. And they usually put the band's name in the thought bubble. And ours said, kick 11. And I kind of came in and was like arrogant. I was like, dude, that's not the name of the band. And the, it wasn't Johnson. It was another engineer. But he was like, yeah, no, it's one louder. And I was like, right, but we're kick 10. And he's like, yeah, but it's one loud. He was disappointed, And I didn't understand. He? And it, like, it got serious. Like, I was like, what is wrong with you? He's like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> so that, that's it. That's my. That's how I, I've always had sort of like a negative feeling towards Spinal Tap. Until last night, we watched it. And 
I just always like, fuck that movie. This is a classic Billy anecdote, by the way. <laughs> All right. So this is making sense to me now because Billy is a, a musician. Uh, among the three of us, he would be the most accomplished musician. And <laughs> yet he hasn't seen this classic right. rock and roll movie, right? And it's because of, of that bad experience you had, right? And, he, and plus, he's, he's a lot younger. I mean, you know. You need somebody, for me, I have all this stuff on my plate that I'm doing and I need somebody like Will to like send me messages like, you got to watch this movie, you got to do this, you got somebody to get on me, you know? And nobody in my life has ever gotten on me to be like, you need to watch Spinal Tap. Billy, that's who I am. That's what I am for you now. That's interesting. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I'm that I agree. You're like a culture barrier. <laughs> <laughs> like a funneler, not so much a barrier, but <laughs> well, like you, you close things that I shouldn't see, and you open for things. It's like a exactly. You know, I'm like God. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, Jim. <laughs> well, I was gonna. I just want to say before you get into uh, the movie, since you're talking about the goes to eleven scene, I, so I rewatched the movie a few nights ago, and I found that scene to be just as funny as the first time I watched it, or the. 10th time I watched it, whatever. It's really, it is really a brilliant piece of, I don't even think writing. I think it's improvisation. I mean, obviously they knew because they had to prop, but it really is pretty brilliant. This is a top to, a, you know, what we use on stage, but it's very, very special because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board, oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, the and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes are going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top? number and make that a little louder. These go to 11. You know, there's a lot of movies that have like catchphrases, right? So that are quotable lines over time. I mean, we, you had, you were nice enough to have me on a long time ago um, and talk about the Blues Brothers. And, you know, that has certain, you know, uh, catchphrases too. And, you know, a lot of comedies do. You opened up your appearance last time by going Orange Whip, Orange Whip. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there you go. But I was, but what I was going to say is, um, I think uh, it goes to 11 is beyond even just a catchphrase now. It's like part of the American vernacular, right? People use it to just whenever they're describing something that's like, a you know, the maximum thing, the above the maximum, right? Uh, goes to 11. Everybody sort of gets it, right? Don't you think? I do. I think so. And Christopher Guest is so great in that scene because it's his stupidity that just sells it. He's like, but these go to 11. You know, he just can't grasp the basic concept. He can't get it. Right. I think that guy makes the movie. Um, I, I want to tell you, I, I thought the movie was good. I was, there was a lot of times where Kevin, I watched it with my friend Kevin, the guitar player, and we were both, we both kind of admitted, we're like, hey, we're kind of bored. Like it kept, there was times in the movie where I was like, let's, come on, let's go along. Like when they're at the party, you know, like very early in the movie, they're at the, they're at like the tour kickoff party. Bobby Fleckman. With, with, with yeah. the, with the nanny. And, uh, <laughs> She's great. <laughs> She's great. She's really great. But it's like, it, there's not a lot of jokes. It's sort of like they're actually setting up the, the Black album, the None More Black joke later mm -hmm. is really what's happening there. But it's it's kind of, it's we were both kind of like, I don't I don't know what the fuss is. But by the time it ended, I, it really won you over. It's it's charming and funny and has heart. And that Christopher Guest, I don't really know him. I don't, I couldn't tell you. You said best of oh. show. No idea. That guy is funny. That guy is damn funny. And I think he's like the whole heart of the movie. I think that guy's great. Yeah. Yeah. 
T went on to make other like the classic mockumentaries now, like Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, um, A Mighty Wind. He, you know, he really branched out into this, and he, I have no idea what any of those are. Oh my! Well, they're I mean they're hilarious, and you know of the '90s that that's like sort of took Spinal Tap into the '90s, and he I was looking up some video. He got his start doing stuff for National Lampoon did a spoof of Woodstock in the early 70s where a lot of the like Chevy Chase was there and Belushi and Radner all before Saturday Night Live and Christopher Guest was one of the main people and if you can find these on YouTube he does like he would perform as James Taylor he does an amazing you know you would think how do you imitate James Taylor but he nails it and he does Dylan which a lot of people do but I mean it's just he's a smart guy I hear he's kind of an odd guy like kind of a he's I read he's kind of a, I've read he's a jerk yeah I re- he his quote I saw some quote I'm sure it's on his Wikipedia but he was like people see me and they think I'm gonna be funny all the time and I gotta tell you it's exhausting I just want to be me I just want to be normal leave me alone and Spinal Tap was on an episode of The Simpsons early on yeah with because Harry Harry Shearer who of course is yeah and Michael McKean and Christopher Guest were on and I there I think on the commentary track on that episode they're talking about like having those guys on and they're like well of course you know Harry's part of the family and they said we love Michael he's great and they said however one of the guests was very difficult to work with (laughs) sure but you know hey i don't have to deal with him and he makes great movies so that's fine with me he does and he's mr jamie and he is mr and yeah yeah he's also royalty he's literally like royalty so he comes from british lineage you mean and he's he does he does there's there's some connection there yes he comes from british lineage okay well so you you mentioned one thing will i think is really important to this movie which is that christopher guest could actually play. Yeah. And so could Michael McKean. And so could Harry Shearer. I don't know if he learned or if he had musical. He was on the bass, uh, so it was well. easier, but yeah. Yeah. But they all like could play. That was like, uh, they were real musicians. And I think that made it work too, made it seem more real. In fact, I also read that Christopher Guest was so such a stickler about making sure, you know, in the, in the editing process that the music would you know, perfectly match like where his fingers were on the guitar and stuff like that, you know, because things like that when you're editing can get a little bit, yeah. you know, different takes and stuff like that can get a little bit messed up, right? So he had made sure that that was accurate. Um, uh, they actually, the other guys, uh, Viv and uh, Mick Shrimpton, right. the keyboardist <laughs> and the, and the uh, drummer, they, you don't, One of the drummers. they don't <laughs> act a whole lot in the movie, but they're actually professional musicians. So I thought that was interesting that they felt that they I can believe that, yeah, yeah. That they needed this authenticity to make it a real And it works. Like more like a documentary. Jim, right? you're exactly right. Uh, and it's actually why so many people were like, is this a real band? I mean, everybody thought Spinal Tap was real because McKean and, and Guest are fantastic. They're very, very good. Uh, they're they're yeah. dorks. And of course there's McKean sings, you know, and he yeah. you know, he's brilliant. I love that he sings not, with yeah. an American accent though. Like I was listening, I went on Spotify today to like hear it, and I was like, like they have a they have a 2004 album that came out. Um and it's like just straight American. Like there's no accents at all, which is pretty great. Jim, were you we went to see I mean, I went to see him. Were you part of that group yeah. that saw them? Yeah. It was <laughs> it was one of those things that was like, this will be great, and then it was like mm. yeah. <laughs> It was interesting. The, the, the music isn't the, what makes them fun. It's it's you know it's the the industry no. and the surroundings that makes it fun. And I will say this though: the songs in the movie are good, and they just and they're the spice throughout the movie. Strong disagree. They're not good. You know, I mean, the songs are catchy well, and they're fun. Tonight I'm gonna rock it tonight. 
not great. Oh, well, that, that is one of the great <laughs> dumb titles in song history. Tonight, I'm going to rock you, you know, tonight. You, you guys said, um, or Len, Jim, you said, Lenahan, you said, um, in the spirit of um, Led Zeppelin. But I actually thought most of the songs kind well, of Will sounded. Said that. Oh, did Will say? I, I apologize. Yeah. I thought most of them kind of sounded like Kiss. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking because because David is like a Robert Plant, you know, because you have the Robert Plant, Jimmy Page kind sure, of dichotomy sure. right. of the band. So let me address that for a second, too. I think there are two great sort of Led Zeppelin references in the movie. One is when uh, Nigel, Christopher Guest, Nigel Tufnell, um, talks about his soloing. And at one point he plays the guitar with a violin which, of course, has to be a riff on how Jimmy Page would play with a bow, right? A violin bow, right? right? So that's that's pretty funny. It, the, uh, and the genius moment is when he tunes the violin. Yes. And then he goes back to play. He can, he can hear that the the one he, the, the banger that he's hitting the guitar with is out of tune. So he, he tunes it. Yes. It was nice. It was a good joke. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Uh, the other thing is you mentioned uh, Tony Hendra. Hen- the the manager, name? yeah. Uh, Tony Hendra, who played manager Ian Faith. So, Yeah. I don't know much about him as an actor, Will. I'd like to hear more about him because I thought he was like a really sort of a really uh, key key part to this movie. I thought his performance was really great. But but before I say that, he's based in part, at least, on Led Zeppelin's manager. Okay. So, that makes um, sense. Led Zeppelin's manager, Peter Grant, was known as a real tough guy and he would carry around a baseball bat and he was sort of like an enforcer. And if people, you know... Uh, crossed him a certain way, he would use the bat, right, to smash things up or potentially to, you know, beat them up, right? And so there's a great little scene about uh, in Spinal Tap of Ian describing how he carries this cricket bat around and how useful it is. And they show like a montage of him just smashing things and all that stuff, right? So that was part of it. Now, I noticed this here, you've got this cricket bat here. In play? Um, no, I carry this uh, partly out of, uh, I don't know, sort of, sort of, uh, uh, I suppose. Uh, what's the word? Um, Affectation. Yes, I mean it's it's a it's a kind of totemistic thing, you know. But uh, to be quite frank with you, it's come in useful in a couple of situations. Wow. Certainly in the uh, topsy turvy world of heavy rock, having a f- good solid piece of wood in your hand is quite often useful. Mm-hmm. That was part of it. Well, then they call back to it. That's early. That's early in the movie, Jim. And then near the end, when they've like overcome the evil girlfriend, he's just kind of standing there holding that cricket rat or holding the bat or whatever. That's a great shot at the end. And it's subtle. They pan to him smiling in the background. You have to root for him, right? Yeah. He was a, a he was a British comic. He was like part of a comic duo in the 60s, but he mostly got his like foot in the door. And I'm sh- this is must be how he met Christopher Guest because he was a writer for National Lampoon in the 70s. And then when they did that live show, I bet that's when he met Christopher Guest because he wasn't known primarily as an actor. And I don't know that he's done much acting since. No, I I haven't really seen him in anything, but he was so good in this movie, don't you think? He 
he gave it sort of he kind of gave it that uh grounding mm-hmm. right you root for him because he's like sort of the regular guy among all these exactly crazy people right well he's the only he's the only person who's not a dumbass right like everything he says he's like who do you think's finding your missing luggage exactly right. how many hours a night do i think i sleep like he seemed normal and exasperated he's exasperated yes. yeah he's totally. the one and the one thing i think about spinal tap that works worse other mockumentaries don't work is like billy said at the end you actually are rooting for nigel and david to get back together. Yes. You're rooting for yeah. the band to succeed. I mean, there is, it's weird, but there, there, when they are playing in triumphantly in Japan and they show Ian, like, you know, he's defeated the girlfriend. It's like, you're, you know, it's a nice moment. It, it genuinely has some emotion to it. Right. If, if only this had happened to the Beatles, right? <laughs> exactly. And, the, and <laughs> I mean, that, that has to be based on Yoko, right? That has of to course. be a take on Yoko. Oh, completely. Right? There was, there was Kevin kept saying that he thought there was a lot of Rolling Stones influence when they'd, they'd show the band back in the 50s and 60s as like a country pop band or whatever. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about the Rolling Stones. I've always skipped them. I I don't care. I'm a Beatles oh. guy. I love the Beatles. Jim literally has a picture of the Rolling Stones behind him on the screen. A Rolling yes. Stone a ro- on the cover of Rolling Stone. That is true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it's like a. I know. I like that cloud song, the one that was in Guitar oh, Hero. That's a good song, Billy. Right yeah, because <laughs> Billy, you're <laughs> as much as you're wrong on our show with Jim here. You're even more wrong. <laughs> that is the point of but everything. But the, the it is uh, interesting because the they're so great. But anyway, they that's are another great. show. But uh, but what I'm gonna say is, uh, I did read that the cinematographer for Spinal Tap. So Rob Reiner was the director, right? Meathead, right? And he. Um, he hired a actual documentary. Playing Marty DeBerge on camera. Yes, right. And I want, I want to say something about that too, but give me a second here. He, I, I did not know this until today, that he hired an, a cinematographer who was actually a documentary cinematographer, not a feature film cinematographer. And the guy had actually done um, documentaries on like Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones, I think. And so he... You know, a lot of the scenes were improvised, or apparently most of the movie was improvised, and because they wanted to keep it like sort of fresh and as if it was really happening. And so this guy was really good at making it look like a documentary. But apparently, he kept asking, like, "Why is this funny? This is just <laughs> like this is what band this is what bands do. This is how bands act. Like this is not funny, right?" And so he didn't get it at all. But I think that is probably another reason why it works because it's not like a goofy funny movie it's not like you know we're taking a road trip and we're gonna put on a show and i guess you know what i mean right. it's like it never goes totally played straight there's not like wah 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 yeah right right you and i um you and i read the same articles during research for this jim but one thing i wanted to share that i sent to kevin last night was uh was uh steven tyler's response yeah i saw uh, that too who- <laughs> oh i've heard this <laughs> Let's see, what did he say? I have the quote here. I apologize. Uh, According to a 1997 interview in Spin Magazine with Aerosmith rhythm guitarist Brad Whitford, quote, the first time Steven saw it, he did not see any humor in it at all. When the film was released, Aerosmith's most recent album, Rock in a Hard Place, depicted Stonehenge prominently on its cover. (laughs) That is so funny. That's right. And apparently Black Sabbath also didn't think it was funny. And they, and I think this was the Ronnie James Dio Black Sabbath at that point, but, uh, they actually had an album with also with Stonehenge, some something to do with Stonehenge. I'm sorry, I don't really know their discography that well, but especially at that era. But um, but apparently it came out like 
a week before the movie or something, and they got oh, and they no. got really upset, and they were like, "You stole from us!" As if a movie could be produced in a week, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so only only furthering sort of the i the whole conceit of the movie, which is how like dim rock stars yes, maybe right. right. It fits perfectly. Yes, and how self serious. Right. Are. Exactly. Completely. But there's a uh, there's a band out of Philadelphia called None More Black, and until last night, I mean, I always a lot of their song titles are like Seinfeld jokes. Like you'll see their you know whatever. But it turns out, yeah, it turns out No More Black, prominent joke in this movie, I'd never heard of until you know last Those night. Look like you know black leather. You can see yourself in both Shiny sides. I would yeah. feel so bad. It's like a black mirror. So bad. Yeah, it, it is. Like, well, I think it looks like death. David, it looks death. like mourning. Every, I mean, looks- every 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 movie in every cinema is about death. Death sells. I don't think he's right. There's something about this that, that, that's so black. It's like, how much more black could this be? And the answer is none. None more black. See, because I think that's another one. Not quite like goes to 11, but but maybe just like the next notch down, 10, um, where, uh, where it's just become part of the American vernacular, right? People will say, you know, it's none more black. And it's just something that you, maybe you haven't even seen the movie. And it just like, it's a phrase that people I, say. I didn't right? know it. I, right. d- I didn't know it until last night, but um, um, no more black is one of those bands. Will when we hosted your show, Jim, we did an episode on good bands with horrible singers. Yes, But like, you know, yes. in, a, in a charming way, none more black is one of those bands. Yes. Maybe I'll try to play a clip in here when I, when I edit. It's, it's gross and awesome. Yes. <laughs> but I still feel young. I've caught a bad infection. Amazing in slow motion. Um, but getting to the music, because Billy, you touched on this and uh, a little bit too. That, like, uh, did you say like you didn't think the songs were very good, or what? Well, kind of the, the songs. I, it's you're not watching the movie because of right. the songs. You, you know, the, the songs play and they seem authentic enough, but I don't think they're good. I think guest is it McKeon or McKean? McKean. He's Lenny. This is where Billy is showing his young age because he was Lenny on Laverne and Shirley. Well, no, it looks like it would be McKean. Uh, the only thing I, this this is true, and I've talked about this on a previous episode, but for me, that guy Michael McKean's like I think of Short Circuit Two. He plays Fred, the Short Circuit Two guy, and I watched that movie. I was born in '83. Short Circuit Two came out in what ninety? We have no I don't idea. Know. Like you know, <laughs> we didn't watch it <laughs> pre adolescence. So I saw Short Circuit Two five hundred times as a kid, and. It was weird to see him in Spinal Tap. I was like, it's Fred. Michael McKean has had a very, he has the kind of career I would like to have. I don't know. Because he's always in interesting stuff. He always seems to be having a good time. He's on Better Call Saul now, you know. He's shockingly talented. I feel like he's really underrated. And he's married to the lovely Annette O'Toole, who I don't know if you know guys who know who that is, but Mm -hmm. she's she's lovely. Short Circuit 2, 1988, by the way. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad we have that settled. Thank um, God. But, um, what I was trying to get at though is like the, the songs don't really matter. They're supposed to sort yeah. of be symbolic. Well, of but the, you know, like like there's that time when uh, when Chris when Nigel is like playing his, he's like it's not Mozart and it's not Bach. It's like Mach, it's and like he's Mach. playing this beautiful piano yeah. part. And Christopher Guest is playing that. Of course, yeah. he it's, is. It's good. It's charming, nice chords. And then and what? He says, what do you call it? Yeah, well, it's part of a uh, a trilogy, really, a musical trilogy that I'm doing in D. Minor, which I always find is really the saddest of all keys, really. I don't know why, but it makes people weep instantly to play a... 
It's a horn poem. It's very pretty. Yeah, just simple lines intertwining. You know, very much like I'm really influenced by Mozart and Bach, and it's sort of in between though. It's really, it's like a Mach piece, really. It's, what do you call this? Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. It's like my love pump, of course. <laughs> Lick my love pump. That was fun. Hard cut. That was, it cuts was right. Yeah. That was a perfectly timed joke, don't you think? Uh-huh. And he said it I with think... such earnestness. That's right. what's so great about it. None right? of it was them... clearly improv too. Oh yeah. I mean, he's and his other mockumentaries, Billy. They're all improv too, which works very well for a mockumentary because it gives it that yeah. loose feel of the actual thing. Right. One thing about the music is when they go, because you see Spinal Tap through clips through the years. So you see their yes. like psychedelic period. You see their like very early skiff, you know, early Beatles, early Stone skiffle kind of period and all that. When David and Nigel were just like youngsters. And, and that's when you see like Eric Clapton on the drums and Ed Begley on the drums because they've had all their drummers have died in horrible accidents and stuff. So I want to say, okay, so let me talk about the drummers real quick since you brought that up now too. Um, Billy is a drummer. He was playing for me earlier and he's really good. But it's it, that's sort of a joke on the idea. This is true in, in rock music that like the drummer is sort of considered expendable in some way. You know, John Bonham aside, you know, they actually, Led Zeppelin actually stopped, you know, broke up when John Bonham died. But but for a lot of bands, they'll cycle through drummers. Sure. And, you know, like the Ramones, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will, your favorite band. Oh, yes, you know, many. There's yeah. sort of the feeling is we'll just burn out a drummer. We'll just hire another guy, right? And so normally it's, that's how it works. They they quit. They get fired. Another guy comes in and replaces them. In this, of course, they die in tragic accidents. But it was all – but it, it is a joke that's, that's grounded in some kind of reality, right? That there's a lot of bands that cycle through a lot of drummers. And it builds to that great moment at the end when they're finally triumphant. And then they pay, show the drummer and he just explodes on camera. And then immediately a new drummer is in his place. <laughs> well, and, but it cuts to the Japan show. It was a perfect cut, like yes. mid-song. Yes. You know, I said that's to right. Kevin last night, we were watching that thing. And I was like, oh, that's this isn't good. Oh, no. And then like as I was kind of sputtering out, like my my warning, the guy exploded. <laughs> it was, uh-huh. And it's then pretty Joe well Mama Besser or somebody comes in. and it's yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but let me address the music real quickly, because this was something I noticed watching it again last night, because I probably haven't seen it in quite a few years now. Um, I was actually less impressed with the music watching it than I used to be. So uh, here's my thing on this is um, I love the old clips. I love when they play when they're the Thames men mm-hmm. and they play Give Me Some Money. I thought that was like Give a perfect little like sort of yeah. British invasion song. Right. And it's and it's it's kind of like snappy and fun and you might actually listen to that just outside of the movie right and i think it's actually been used in things i I remember seeing it in a commercial once like it's like that song has kind of taken on a little bit of a life um the flower people which was hilarious (laughs) too is sort of like their psychedelic era Uh right and it's so perfectly done but the song itself i mean it's funny listen to the flower people but it's not jokey so much it's more sort of like witty in a way that it's reflecting sort of it's like they were flower cashing in on every trend that went along right the problem i have with the quote-unquote metal music it's really not that metal no it's um, not is that it gets too it gets too jokey and like big bottom and uh what was sex farm sex farm (laughs) and you know some of that like it's it's a little too jokey and i think this is what the conclusion i came to is that um 
I think it's they're they're trying to the the whole idea of this band is that they're like one of these you know they're one of these heavy metal bands from Britain who were very this is true for a lot of those kind of bands they were very talented musically like those guys unlike punk musicians which was more of a DIY approach and you don't really have to know how to play or whatever it's sure. like all about the emotion and the feeling and all that kind of stuff and just just go out there and do it um metal musicians actually take their craft very seriously and they're like really good and they're very too seriously kind of, i might argue they're but kind of, yeah right they're kind of virtuosic in a way mm-hmm. but they never or they re- i shouldn't say never but they rarely took the songwriting so seriously the lyrics and all of that right. stuff and that's where you get into kind of the mysticism or the overemphasis on sex and um you know it gets into misogyny and all that kind of stuff right and so i think that's what the joke is like they're just kind of like writing these dumb songs but I think it's hard to make a joke out of something that's kind of already, already a joke. A joke. Yeah. Do you know what I, I know mean? what you're saying. I think, um, I mean, what I think about the songs, I think they're, I mean, they are funny, but I, I must think you need that. But I think like, like, I think it's sex farm. They perfectly deploy when they're playing the air force base because they're like, it's yeah. and then you just hear them singing about sex. Farm. And that's when you get Fred Willard's great little cameo. And rest in power, Fred Willard. I mean, he's perfectly is. Re- yes. Rest in power, Fred Willard. Is this your gentleman's first visit to a military facility? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. May I start by saying how thrilled we are to have you here. We are such fans of your music and all of your records. That's right. I'm not speaking of yours personally, but the whole genre of the rock and roll and so many of the exciting things that are happening in music genre. today. And let me explain a bit about what's going on. This is our monthly ad weekend it gives us a chance to kind of let down our hair although i see you all have a head start on it. these haircuts wouldn't pass military muster believe me although i shouldn't talk i my hair is getting a little shaggy too better not get too close to you they'll think i'm part of the band i'm joking of course shall we go in and i'll show you around they set that up well too because there's a you know he says everything everything we've done before was kind of immature and irresponsible but now with Sex Farm, we've really hit the pinnacle of our of our writing abilities. Yeah, right. We've <laughs> right. finally written something that can be taken seriously. And, and the and the movie as a you know documentary, right, telling the story of this band, uh, tells you that they were never like critically acclaimed. Oh right? yeah, they go through the whole thing on the on the the uh, reviews, which are just you know terrible and just abysmal, right? So they, shit sandwich. You get you right, right. So you get the idea right away that. Um, they had an audience. They apparently were big at one point. Right. Um, who just liked this kind of like dumb rock and roll. Maybe that's sort of the kiss comparison. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's fine. But eventually people get tired of that. It has no staying power. Right. You know, it, it, and so. Well, but that, that's, that's how they right are, now. though. That, that band, they shift styles every few years. I mean, you see that the whole movie is about how the band keeps adapting and. We're sort of at the point where they can't adapt anymore. I guess. They just seem smarter when they were younger. They did. Which is a weird yeah. thing. There's a, I, can't, I don't think this is because I, I used to have the soundtrack album, which was black, like, you know, smell the glove. But um, there, there was a, inside there was a page that was supposedly torn out of a book called the Rocklopedia Britannica. And um, I can't remember if this joke is in the movie or if it's just on the album, but they have a line that I always thought was good where they said, Spinal Tap fills a much needed void. And I'm like, that's a... That's a good joke right there because it takes you a second <laughs> to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much needed void. <laughs> Much needed void. <laughs> yes, it's funny. Um, While I was watching this last night, if you, I, I have one more little side that I think you'll think is funny. But um, 
I couldn't help but recast this movie. I don't I don't know any of the characters. Like I you know, seriously, like I don't know Christopher Guest. That's the first thing I've ever seen him in. I knew the other guy from Short Circuit. You know what I'm talking about? Like to me, these people are are disposable actors that I just don't know. Versus you guys who have histories, you know, who could name all the movies they're in. But I had a couple recasts for you that I think are gonna work, and I, I would love to get your take. Um I thought Artie Lang would be great as the keyboardist. That guy looked just like him. <laughs> yeah, he'd okay. be better as a drummer because I don't know if he's going to survive throughout. <laughs> sure, but like there's a couple scenes where like yeah. the keyboardist is just like zonked out. Heck, I love yeah. that What does he say? I love, I love that. He has like one line. Have a, have a good time all, all the, the time. time. That's his one line <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Viv Savage, thought, isn't that I it? thought yeah. Nigel. Yeah. Nigel looked a lot like Sam Rockwell to me. Yeah, I can see that. I just watched Sam mm-hmm. Rockwell in this uh, Fosse and Verdon thing that was on Hulu. That guy's got talent and he can dance. Yeah. He's great. He's, He's great. great. And then uh, Paul Rudd is the bassist. I thought made perfect <laughs> with those big mutton choppy. Yeah, like it's, yeah. he's he's it's basically co- combine his characters from I Love You Man and yes, Anchorman. I Love You Man. That's a good movie. Speak, yeah, speaking, yeah, it's a good movie with a callback to Rush. We just said earlier. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then I could not come up with a singer replacement, which is why I thought I would leave that to you guys. Who should be the new Michael McKean? I don't know. <laughs> it has to be somebody who's who's not uh, very self-aware, who takes themselves incredibly seriously. Visually, those guys are all on point. But the thing about Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, and Harry Shearer, the three main members, is, I mean, they're, they essentially wrote the movie, too. They kind of, you know, they performed the whole, yeah. Sure, they did. They definitely did. But it's a... I, I read, uh, oh, you know, and who, who's genuinely great. Um, who directed this? Rob Reiner? Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner is great. He's he plays a great straight sure. man. He has a couple funny things. It kind of kind of reminded me of um, who's the famous director who was drunk all the time in the seventies on commercials? Orson Welles. Yes, Orson Welles. <laughs> he reminded me of like an Orson Welles type. type. <laughs> well, now Billy, you may, this may shock you. I don't. Maybe it won't. But uh, you know, Rob Reiner got to start as an actor. <laughs> he was best known as an actor yes, for many sure, many sure. years. Well, but I, so speaking of this though, the other thing that struck me in, in rewatching it, I kind of forgot that Rob Reiner sets up the movie. Like he feels a need. To sort of explain what this movie is at the beginning, because I think it was so different, right? And so, yeah, I agree. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like, say, The Office, where it just you kind of knew, yeah. You know, the 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 show starts and boom, it's a mockumentary, right? It, he kind of he doesn't say obviously he doesn't say like this is a mockumentary, but he he does say a rockumentary, if you will. Yes, like he, he- <laughs> but he he sets it up in a way that explains. Sort of like a little bit about like what you're about to see, as if it's real, of course, mm-hmm. which it isn't. But I, I found that interesting. It's a, it goes on for about five minutes or so at yeah. the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he's he's good. He's I mean, besides yeah, behind the camera, he does kind of yeah. I guess back then you really did need to sell it because there was nothing else like this, and there's no narrator. You know, it's not like a documentary. And then Spinal Tap flew to Cleveland, where they you know da 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 da. Right. They do show the title cards they burned in, the, you know, Boston. Or, yeah. or Boston got canceled. Yes. I'm sorry. No, no. Oh, it's not a I big lo- college that's town. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> that's so, that's such a great line. It's not a big college town. <laughs> I think the next what? show after that they do is Chapel Hill. So. Yes. Let's Fair list enough. the colleges in Boston. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, and that, I think that's the part too, where Howard Hessman is the other rock star that blows them off. And he has this line where he says, I'd love to stay in chat, but I got to go stand so, in the lobby. It's so funny you say this, <laughs> Will. I'm holding up my notes for you to see. The uh, uh. Um, There's so many like funny lines that did not rise to the go to 11 thing. There's mm-hmm. just little lines that I, in watching again, I 
I started to jot some of them down. That was one of them about uh, waiting in the lobby for the limo. Listen, we'd love to stand around and chat, but we gotta sit down in the lobby and wait for the limo. Okay, okay. okay. Thank you. Duke, we'll Thanks catch up with you on the road. Thanks. Great to see you again, Terry. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Duke, we'll catch up great. on the coast, maybe. Great. Great to see great. you. Yeah. Good days. Good days. Nice to see you. The other one I really caught my attention was, um, oh, when uh, Marty DeBerge is doing a one-on-one interview with the manager, Ian, and talking about how they used to play like 15,000-seat arenas, and now they're in like theaters or something like that, right? And Ian, and, um, and he said, this is, you know, in- indicative that they're losing their appeal. And, uh, and Ian just says, no, their appeal is becoming more selective. The last time TAP toured America, they were... Uh, booked into 10,000-seat arenas and 15,000-seat venues. And it seems that now, on the current tour, they're being booked into 1,200-seat arenas, 1,500-seat arenas. And uh, I was just wondering, does this mean uh, the popularity of the group is waning? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I, I, I just think that the uh, that their appeal is becoming more selective. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line of BS. And one more, back when they're... After this is this is the part of the show where we're gonna just run through some quotes. Right. Just do it. It's great. Well, this it's is, the one time. After Howard Hesman blows them off too, they're like complaining about him and they're like, he was so bad when he opened for us, we had to apologize him. People were still booing during our show for his <laughs> act right. and this. She's got this much talent. Yeah. This we carry We had to apologize for him with our set. Right. That's right. People yeah. were still booing him and we it's were like, it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all it's like they can't figure out that they were booing them. I think it's like it's residual booing or something. I like I like when DeBurgie's interviewing the drummer in the bathtub, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Well, what would you do without this band?" And he goes, "Well, there, there's still sex and drugs without the rock and roll, <laughs> yeah. right? I'll be fine." <laughs> and doesn't he have a radio sitting on the edge of the tub? <laughs> he does. Isn't there like there's like a radio sitting right. there because he's about to <laughs> die in any death. moment, right? But it didn't happen then. We also uh, oh we also mentioned that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say Derek's, Derek's whole thing left of the band crumbles of Jazz Odyssey. <laughs> it's just like the worst, pretentious, horrible, bore. And they just show the crowd. People hold, they're at the SeaWorld or whatever, and people just holding out their thumbs down. And they also apparently had a side project that they wanted to work on about Jack Saucy, the Ripper. Saucy right? Jack. <laughs> <In a> musical <laughs> theater. Saucy Jack, yes. That was funny. Uh, um, but oh, so the other thing that sort of struck me talking about the music and the movie too was that it was actually more sort of prog rock than yeah i guess registered with me earlier right obviously stonehenge and then um rock and roll creation was another one that they they did these sort of like rock (laughs) opera kind of things which was of course at the time that's a big that's something you could easily make fun of right because there were so many bands yeah to your point billy that just took themselves so seriously right and this that was the era of that this was the era of just like incredible rock and roll excess, right? Bloated excess, right? And self-importance and all that. And, and I think um, coming out in 84, I think maybe it had more punch than it might have today because you don't have quite as much of that anymore. But uh, uh, but there were just, uh, just so many bands that were just so like, they made so much money because that's just what album sales sales did for you back then and they just became so full of themselves and then in the process became so like clueless 
to how they came off, right? And that's ultimately the joke of the whole movie. Yeah, the lack of self-awareness is the big joke. Oh, sure. And it's not just them, though. It's everybody. It's everybody in the the record label, to their managers, to the cabbie. Oh, Bruno Kirby. Oh, he was like if they If they had only, like, lived their life through the king or whatever, through... through, uh, Sinatra. Sinatra, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and they just, they closed the window up on him. No, that's okay. What I was going to say is, you know, one thing, and I'm, you know, you can see exactly why they did this, because you want to, they want you to like these characters, and they want this to be a movie that everyone's going to enjoy, but they really, one thing they don't do is they don't get too much into sex or drugs. I mean, it's, there's one scene where they all have, like, herpes... On, at the at the meet and greet party, they all have herpes on their lips. But but they're never like there's not like piles of cocaine everywhere. They're not like banging groupies. And it's oh, I, I mean, I never saw the herpes joke. I missed that. They joke. all have herpes sores on their lips at the party, like matching herpes sores. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> it's funny. It's very subtle. It's obviously, uh, but it's it's funny. Um, you kind of have to know what you're looking mm-hmm. for. I think. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, but that's a good point. Well, I didn't really think about that so much. They don't really go, they don't lean into sort of the sex and drugs and rock and roll stuff. Yeah, it's not it's that kind more of movie, about, you know. No. There's there's the one scene where they're all on a hotel bed and they all have like a woman wrapped around them, including yeah. the, the yeah. creepy keyboardist. But I also read, I did not know this, but it makes sense now, of course, that they wrote the girlfriend plot into the movie so that it would have some kind of plot. There was a, apparently right. the studio was quite quite worried <laughs> that if they just made a mockumentary about a failing rock band, you know, rock band on the decline, that what like there has to be some thread, something that you know, some arc, right? Yeah. And so that's where they came up with the idea of of having uh, um, David's girlfriend come in and sort of form this you know, create this wedge between the band and the manager and take over the band and then the band fails and it comes back, right? So it at least gave it something to hang on, right? Some story. It's a great move too, because that's where you really get like the David and Nigel like friendship. Right. You know, you can see like the friendship is split and how they're, they're hurt and this and that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's studio note, but hey, good job studio for suggesting that one. And I can tell you, there was actually one really, I thought quite poignant, scene that again sort of on uh, a recent viewing struck a little differently with me which was uh, the scene where they are in the hotel and there's like an old song of theirs cups and cakes Mm -hmm. playing on the radio and uh and they go to listen to it or whatever and then at the end of it the uh (laughs) i know what you're gonna say says you know that was the thamesman and they later became spinal tap and file them in the where they now you know, drawer or whatever. Right. And, and they're uh, on tour. Yeah. It's so, it is right, kind of sad. Right. It is kind of sad. Right. Because everybody, it's, it's, it's that notion of glory days, right? Like we're never going to get this back. Yeah. And, and it, it is, you know, and I think if you're in any kind of like creative field, you, that can happen to you at any time. Yeah. That sucks. There's, That's a terrible right. feeling. Yeah. 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 Right. And I mean, it's like I've said that moment at the end, first when they're going to go perform and, Nigel says, like, have a good show. You know, he's all alone in the room and they're gonna he's not going out with him. And that scene at the end when David nods for him to come back out on stage, I'm always like, it's a great moment. They've that somehow this goofy ass movie has earned that moment. I love that all of his gear is set up and ready to play. Kevin said that to me. He goes, It's, <laughs> it's nice that this guy hasn't been with them well, for a while and all their gear is sitting on stage <laughs> and ready to go. You gotta buy it. I mean, you really want to see a movie where he has to go set. <laughs> yeah. The other, the I other, need real, t- I need to tune. The other really funny part <laughs> was uh, 
at one point I was kind of like looking at my phone or not quite paying attention. I hear Kevin go, do they all have bases right now? And you look up and, and like the, the, the bassist is playing a double bass, but then both guitar players have basses too. It's just a bass song. It's kind of in your prog rock oh. thing. Hmm. Ha, you didn't catch that. I didn't see. I did not. I didn't catch that one. That's but I'm not. sure it was accurate according to Christopher Guest. So. That's a real moment. Yes. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling Christopher Guest would not let I, that slip by. I will by. say this. I'm looking at my notes. I will say this going back to the music. There is one really witty line in one of the metal songs in Big Bottom where it says, how could I leave this behind? I do think yeah, it's very good. That's clever. I do think that's pretty. <laughs> yep, that's good. That's a good fun. <laughs> there was a video released for Hellhole that MTV played every yep. now and then. Mm-hmm. And was Hellhole that's actually that's... in the movie? You might hear it at some point. I but... think so. Yeah, it's not a prominent yeah. song in the movie. No. Yeah, I mean, if you because you don't hear all of the songs throughout the movie. Like the soundtrack album has all of them, including the Thamesman and Cups and Cakes and all that stuff. Okay, and then one one last thing you didn't even mention too is the backstage uh scene with the craft service <laughs> yeah right this little the little, this the little, little breads, <laughs> which apparently is a joke on van halen and the brown m&ms or whatever the thing is right, right. but apparently it's true for a lot of bands that they had of course crazy you know ridiculous requirements in their riders and if those weren't upheld they get upset over the smallest things right now I heard in perhaps a bit of, I don't know if this is revision or truth, but the Van Halen put that in because they figured if they didn't meet that condition, they weren't going to meet more important conditions. That's ca- But that came out much later. At the time this movie was, was made, people just thought it was a ridiculous thing. Yeah. And I'm sure did, there's yes. tons of ridiculous stuff in those riders. I mean, you know. That's right. And then, of course, the getting lost backstage apparently happened to a lot of bands I've read. <laughs> so that's... That's apparently when a true thing. When they run into the janitor twice, that's just gold right there. So this movie's rated R, and I don't know why. Is it? Yeah. There's, I guess, F-bombs? I mean, yeah. is that it? Language, I guess. A few, but not not many, I don't maybe think. The herp- no, there's, there's, maybe the herpesaurs. <laughs> no, you know what? The I think the F-bombs are a lot more prominent than you think. Yeah. Uh, I, I never like, noticed There's the one time like they're yeah. visiting Elvis's grave, and he's like, please, show some respect. Like It, it happens a lot. Too much fucking, yeah. <laughs> Plus, when uh, when they describe the album cover, maybe that's it. You have a greased woman <laughs> on her knees. Maybe. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know. The '80s were a different time, Billy. They were because you could see. Yeah, I just I feel like it's definitely a PG-13. There were PG movies with nudity back then. I mean, it was a it was a crazy time for all of us. I'll never forget you telling me that. The woman at the beginning of Jaws is actually naked, but the quality of film was so bad back then that nobody could really tell. But now that we're in Blu-rays, <laughs> when that lady at the beginning comes out, it's very clear she's not wearing any clothes. That's a will. That's a will anecdote. Where you really see that is if you watch a lot of James Bond movies. Oh sure, you watch James Bond movies now, like that showed on TV, and now you watch them on Blu-ray, and all the naked women in the opening credits—it could not be more obvious <laughs> that they're nude. <laughs> So Billy, did you like the movie? I don't think we got. I did. I I I, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I, I think that it's um like a vestige of your guys's youth. Mm-hmm. I, sure. I feel like this is a previous generation's movie. I like this much better. That the thing that kind of um, uh, what what's the punk movie with with um Emilio Estevez? I was just gonna ask that. The Repo Man. Oh yeah. Repo Man. I I feel like it's in the same lane as Repo Man, and this movie is way better. It's like it's a better made movie. I think. Well, I well, I would agree. But I, by the same lane, you sort of mean this is a movie that guys my age watched obsessively and have a real love for. But when you come to it for the first time, you're like, it's 
fine. No, I think but, I think but, Repo Man I thought was fine. I think this is better than fine. This is a good movie. I, I don't think it's like a okay. holy shit outstanding movie. Like the poster is like the funniest rock movie of all time. I don't know. It's it's funny. I laughed and uh, there are good jokes in it. And it's not it's not stupid. You know, like there's a lot of stuff where I'll you'll you'll go back and watch a comedy now and I'll just be like, what the hell? Like, it's just not funny. It's dumb. This isn't dumb. This is a really smart, sharp movie. It is for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. And it's it's I mean, well it's, it's well produced. So you when know. you're watching it, you're not punished for it being 40 years old. You know, it's like it looks and it looks like it's of its time, but it's it looks good. It looks appropriate. It's I think it's really good. It's a really good movie. I'm glad I watched it. Do you think? Do you guys think though that if you have to have some knowledge of the subject matter to find it funny, or do you think anybody would find it funny? Do you know what I mean? Do you have to have some knowledge of what rock stars are like? Probably. You know, because we showed it to Allie. Just because I wanted to watch it, so and she like laughed in parts, but parts of it she couldn't have cared less about because she has no interest in that world. I don't th- like like a movie like Airplane. Good for her. Well, I know, yeah. Believe me, if she's in a <laughs> other stupid crap, believe me, but it's not that stupid area. But um, you know, a movie like Airplane, you don't need any special knowledge, whether you like it or not. The jokes are just right there. But Spinal Tap, you do need to. I've never seen Airplane. I don't. I don't know. Interesting, Billy. That's one I would be very curious to see what you think. Well, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Will, because of course Airplane is a parody of '70s disaster movies. But I think you're right. I don't think you have to have seen any of the source material to find it funny, because the jokes are just so like, you know, just so obvious, right? They're just right there. And not to say they aren't funny, but that it's a different kind of humor. There's a lot of subtlety to this movie, and I think if you miss it. It's okay. The movie maybe that's why I found it a little mm-hmm. boring. But it's like it doesn't. It's not like everything falls flat because you didn't get the herpes joke, you know? Right. Yeah. But if you do get it, it's rewarding. There's a little bit of a bonus to it. Just real quick, I would also say that back in 1984, this sort of thing was much more in the general consensus. Even if you weren't like a rock music fan, they were on TV. You know, you would be aware of who Led Zeppelin was, or that rock stars party and are crazy or stuff like that. Yes. Yes, I think that's true. I think the definition of a rock star has changed since then. But back then, you know, a rock star was this person who led this completely different life from normal people, right? Um, The thing I've noticed too, though, I think it's really tight. It's only like, is it even an hour and a half long? It's 82 minutes. Yeah, it's tight. That's that's how I got Kevin to watch it with me last night. I'm I'm happy with that. I think they showed good restraint. Uh, They made it really tight. And there's, there might be a couple of parts, I agree with you, Billy, there's a couple of parts where I, uh, my mind wandered a little bit, but not too much. I found that just about every scene had good jokes in it. Like there was, there was, there were, I guess what, what I would say is there was never like a scene where I was like, oh, that's, uh, that joke didn't work and that just fell flat or that was corny or whatever. That didn't really happen. Um, it really, they edited this very well and made it a, a tight little mm-hmm. movie. I think so, too. I think you're right. On the DVD, there's tons of outtakes, and they were wise to take them out, you know? And also, if you're ever in Kansas City, uh, go check out a band called Four Jackson or Jill. <laughs> they play at the... They, they play at, like, the Ramada Inn Lounge oh, or whatever Fred. it was. He's so funny. That's good. That's He's a good callback. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to ask if you have any final thoughts, but I kind of think we hit the final thoughts. Yeah, right I think so, too. There. I enjoyed it, and I will also say this is a rare occurrence where I can uh, say to my wife of many years, uh, I want to watch this old movie, and she says, yes, I want to watch it too. Like, that doesn't happen very often, because I think most of the stuff that I like from back in the day, she'd just roll her eyes to, but she was like, no, that's a funny movie. I want to watch that too. So I think that's good. 
I started to tell my wife the anecdote about kick 11 and she kind of gave me this, like, I don't want to hear about your glory days. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, you're right. That's fine. <laughs> so you could relate to that scene with yep. cups and cakes. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Billy is in the, where are they now file? <laughs> that's right. That's, I'm, I'm here with you, Will. That's what I know. Me. Hey, I'm, I'm here there with you. <laughs> I, I wanted to thank, we got a couple donations over the quarantine. So I, I do want to thank folks for, for doing that. Uh, I'm not going to call people out by name, but I, I do appreciate you guys supporting the show. I know that when everything went on lockdown, everybody turned to podcasts, right? I mean, I've, I've had some friends who said they turned to, to Netflix, but I think a lot more consumption uh, happened since people aren't working. Uh, so I, we, we appreciate you supporting the show. We appreciate you, you sticking with us. We'll start, we'll get back to the routine of reading reviews and sort of bringing the crowd in a bit more, but it's just nice, honestly, to get back on our feet here. That's great. Get it going, man. Watch some more movies. What do you, uh, what do you want to do next week? Will this is, this is the rare time when we have not planned this. That's right. <laughs> We've had a couple movies in the, in the slot. <laughs> do we want to try to watch, uh, you want to do Ace in the Hole or do you want to... You know what? I've started Ace and I've started that goddamn movie two different times. I hate that movie. We'll do, I don't mean to spoil it. We'll get to it. But damn, I, I really... Is there something you want to do? I really want to do that thing you do at some point. Um, we did promise that we would do that with Pat Francis, but I, you know, I'll have to reach out to that guy. If not, maybe Jim would like to do it with us too. Yeah, that's a good music um, movie. Not to keep wasting your time, Jim. I don't mean to abuse your... What do I have to do, Billy? I'm just here. I'm here all day, every day. Exactly. He's just there. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm talking anyway. I might as well turn the microphone on. <laughs> we we probably, we did promise that we would get, we'd get to it. So we, we should do Ace in the Hole, but let's, let's kind of circle back and get to that thing you do in the next few weeks. And we'll try to, we'll try to get this out this weekend and then do uh, Ace in the Hole next Monday. Works with me. Great. Uh, okay. Well, if that's all we have to say, folks, uh, thank you so much for joining us and we'll miss you all most of all.